Today we are looking at a post-resurrection occurrence in the life of the Lord Jesus, and really we're looking at it from the standpoint of two disciples. It's called the Emmaus Road Experience. In reality, the Emmaus Road is uh, a picture, it's, it, it's synonymous with a believer's journey through life. There's an old saying that could be adapted to this. You are right now either on your own Emmaus Road or you're getting off your Emmaus Road. And by the way, let me just remind you, that's only temporary because you could be getting right back on your Emmaus Road. Let me give you a breakdown of how we're going to approach this lengthy passage that Kicker read just a few moments ago. We're going to break it down in three different uh, scenarios. And here's the first one. Uh, it's in spite of the gift of resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, you will really never escape the potential for disappointment in life. Now, that goes for all people, Christian, non-Christian alike. But the sad thing is that for some Christians, obviously for non-Christians, but for some Christians, they never get to experience the second and the third reality. The second point is this, because of the gift of the resurrection of Christ, your faulty perception of life and your circumstances of life can be changed. And then the third one is simply this, because of the gift of the resurrection of Christ, your heart can be transformed from broken dreams to hearts that are ablaze, hearts that are aflame. Let's start with the first point. In spite of the resurrection, the gift of the resurrection of Christ, you will never fully escape the potential for disappointment in life. Now, these two disciples were true followers of Christ. From the, the Scripture itself, we know that at least one of the identities of the, the disciples is this, Cleopas. We're told that he was one of those, but we're not told the identity of the other disciple. Now, I'm not going to get into a long study, but if you go to a couple of other Scripture passages, most notably John chapter 19, verse 25, we can safely surmise that it was Cleopas and his wife, Mary. I find this intriguing, not just two disciples, two men who were walking down the road, but this was a husband and wife. They were close. They were experiencing the same thing in their life. And when we first start reading about this, we find the reality that they had had the rug pulled out from underneath their dreams. We find that they're heading on the road to Emmaus, it was a town, a little village, about seven miles to the northwest of Jerusalem. Now, also from reading other passages of Scripture, most notably in Matthew's gospel version of this, we find that they were not going in the direction that the Lord Jesus told them to go in. He told all of the disciples to go about 60 miles north into Galilee because he was going to meet them there. But here they were, and they were traveling along the road to Emmaus. 
And, and you can almost feel, it's palpable, you can almost feel and see the discouragement in their conversation, and then their conversation with the Lord Jesus. In verse 17, you can look at that. In verse 21, it says, they stood still when Jesus came up, and their faces were downcast in IV. It says in the ESV that they looked sad. And then they say these words, we hoped, we hoped that it was He talking about the Lord Jesus, who should redeem Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So between themselves and then with the Lord Jesus, they were discussing the events that had happened and their hopes, their sincere hopes that Jesus was the Messiah. But all of a sudden, He, he got crucified. And his death seemed to prove, and they were taking this in, seemed to prove that he was only a, a prophet, a great and a powerful prophet, no doubt, but still just a prophet who had died, just like every other prophet has died. And their shattered dreams are clearly revealed here. So why were on, they on the road to Emmaus? Folks, they were not just out for a walk. After three years of following Jesus, they were, in all likelihood, they were going home. They were throwing in the towel. They were giving up because their hope was gone. I'm reminded of Peter. After the crucifixion and before he knew of the resurrection, what did he do? He just went back to business as usual. He took his old job, went back to fishing. Now, now here's the interesting thing, that Jesus had told them exactly what was going to happen. But in spite of his words, and in spite of, in this story here, the witness of, of the women and some of the disciples about his resurrection, they didn't get it. They simply did not believe and here's a key statement. I want you to get this. They let their circumstances dominate the truth, and that caused them to lose hope. Now, here's a question that I have about me and about you. Aren't we a lot like these two disciples? I ask you a question. Are you on in Emmaus Road today, maybe you're not, but maybe you are. Your circumstances, maybe blocked plans or broken expectations, even shattered dreams, and that might have to do with friends or your marriage or your kids and family or work or church or even broken plans and discouragement with God. Someone has said, man, if this is the way God treats his friends, I'd hate to be his enemy. Maybe your discouragement has slowly developed over a long period of time, or maybe it has happened in reality over this past month. You've gone from disappointment to discouragement to despair and, and some of you know exactly what I mean when I say this, kind of a, a panic in your gut. 
And for some, it has atrophied into hopelessness. So what do you do if you're in that situation? And I want to say to you out of this passage of Scripture, and you know it to be true, that often the easiest thing to do is exactly what these disciples did. They ran, or at least they walked, away from their hopelessness. Now, folks, our running can take a lot of different forms. But underlying all of our running is the thought, maybe somehow I can escape the pain. Now, there, there, there comes a glimmer of hope. I, I mean, this, this starts out, this picture is a picture of utter despair. But the first glimmer of hope that we see is in verse 15. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. What an incredibly beautiful picture. Jesus came right up to them and was walking with them. Now, now, believer, I want to remind you of something. No matter what you've been going through, whether it's an uptime for you or a downtime, and particularly if it is a downtime for you, Jesus is walking right with you, Christian, on your own personal Emmaus Road, even when you don't recognize it. A passage of Scripture that should mean a lot to every believer. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the last part of that verse says, Jesus tells us, He makes an incredible promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, I've heard this a lot in the last couple of weeks as the death toll from the coronavirus has mounted. even talked with one of our precious young ladies this week who had this experience with a loved one. And over and over we hear of people who have died alone. But for a believer, that is never, ever true. Yes, the tragedy of not being able to be physically present with a loved one when they draw their last breath. But if that person is a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, then that person did not die alone. Believer, even when you slept last night, he didn't. There was no momentary lapse. There was no failure. There was no turning his back. If the resurrection says anything, it says that God is at work even in the dark. He was at work while Jesus was in the tomb, and he's at work in the dark places, the tomb of your circumstances. Let's move on to the, the, the second application growing out of this passage. Because of the gift of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faulty perception of life can be changed. And a lot of times it needs to be. Now, this is not an easy application, but please follow me. It is absolutely necessary. And Jesus loves you, and He loves me enough to tell us the truth, even when it hurts. 
And I want to say something to you as a believer, but just in case there is an unbeliever, a person who's not yet a follower of Christ, you need to hear this especially. Even if you believe intellectually, last week we talked about that, our emotions and experience, our education. So even if you believe intellectually that Jesus rose from the dead, unless the eyes of your heart are opened and you know him, you know the truth of his words, his remedy will not make any sense to you. What is his remedy? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul in another place in Scripture says, the preaching of the gospel will be foolishness to those who are perishing. But to you Christians, I want you to see the reality of this too. too. Look carefully. What was their focus? If you look at your Bible or smart device in verse 14, it shows their focus. It says, all of these things that had happened. I go back to it. I said it before in other words. Their focus, at least at this point, was totally on their circumstances, their lens, or their, their, their filter through which they were interpreting these circumstances was incomplete. Not that it was totally wrong. That's the way many things are in Scripture. It was just utterly incomplete because there was no mention in their filter, in their lens of the resurrection. Now, Jesus' words to these two, this couple that loved him and that he loved, his words were not flattering. They were a rebuke. Verse 25, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You see, their problem and our problem was that their disbelief, now get this, was not a total all-out rejection of the Word of God, but like so many of us, it was, as I said, incomplete. Or another way of saying it, it was a selective belief. They believed some of what the Word said, but not all of it. Now, Granted, the Bible is not always an easy book to understand, but I have asked the question, and I have to ask it again today, is our real problem understanding the Word or accepting what the Word says? All of you have heard about Thomas Jefferson. I don't know that all of you have heard that Thomas Jefferson was a deist, and he was a religious person of sorts, but he had a problem with the Bible, particularly the New Testament. And so there is in the Smithsonian Institute, the Smithsonian Institute, there is a copy of the Jefferson Bible. The Jefferson Bible was a Bible in which Thomas Jefferson took literally a razor blade and glue to cut and paste He accepted the moral teachings, the moral life of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he cut out anything having to do with the supernatural. He was against the miraculous and especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Let's go back to the disciples, those two, that couple. Which part of it did they not believe? Now, if you look, verse 27 points to the fact that Jesus showed them that the Scriptures revealed Him. But just before that, in verse 26, He gives an answer to the specific message about His coming that they were filtering out. You see, the coming of the Messiah would combine His glory with His suffering and His death for sin. Both would be included in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where they missed it. They just couldn't fit those two things together. It's almost as if they said, hey, Jesus, we really like the glory part. We love to hear about your triumph over your enemies, but suffering? We really don't want to hear about that. You've got to remember, you've got to go back and see that all of the disciples, including the two people on the road to Emmaus, had rigorously held to a non-suffering Messiah, a triumphant king. If you'll remember, Peter had even taken Jesus aside and rebuked him for speaking of his coming rejection and death. And that is why this couple stumbled. And again, I ask the question, aren't we, I'm talking about in our, not just the, the average church, but in our evangelical churches today in our country, aren't we saturated with that same thought? We expect God to make things work in a certain way. Sometimes whether we are really serious about following Him or not. We build for ourselves a belief system that says that God will and that He must insulate us from pain and from hurt and from affliction. That is our lens or filter which, through which many of us view life. And it is as wrong today as it was then. And it will also lead to great disappointment. Now, please, don't hear me incorrectly. It's okay to quote verses like Jeremiah 29, 11. Please get the context right. But it's okay to quote verses like that. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans for, well, for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That is an incredible promise, not just to Israel, but also to us, as long as we understand what the promise is and the hope is. But whenever we quote that verse, we need to balance it with other passages of Scripture. For example, Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been, been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. One pastor has said it like this, Our shattered plans have been designed by God to lead us to an opportunity for scattered grace and glory. But here's what they often do. They often lock us in a dungeon 
of despair. I shared this in my weekly update this past Wednesday and encouraged you, and several of you have looked at it, to read through an article written by John Piper. It was a takeoff on a book that he wrote some years back that was, was really a seminal work in my understanding of, of what God's will is for us. Don't waste your life. But after he was diagnosed with, with cancer, he wrote an article entitled, not don't waste your life, but he substituted a word, don't waste your cancer. And then David Paulison, who's with the Lord now, when he contracted cancer, he wrote and added to that article. It's, it's on that, um, the, the, the weekly update. I hope you'll look at that because I, I encouraged you, please insert the word instead of cancer, COVID-19. Please don't waste your COVID-19 experience. Please don't waste your Emmaus Road experience. You see, what Jesus rebuked them for was not believing all that the Scripture taught, but He did more. He corrected their faulty filter and He gave them a new one. Verse 27 says, He instructed them in the Word. I love that. He, can you imagine being instructed by the Lord Jesus? This word means to expound, to unfold the meaning of the Scriptures. And from the Word, what did He show them? He showed them Himself. That leads us to the last point. There is so much more that is in this passage of Scripture, but for the sake of time, let me finish this. Because of the gift of the resurrection of Christ, our hearts, your heart, can be transformed. Verses 27 and then 31 and 32, listen to this. Here's how he instructed them from the Scriptures in beginning with Moses and all of the prophets. He interpreted to them in all of the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And then later on, they would say about that experience. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked with us, on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. You know, have you ever wondered, and Jesus had a pattern of doing this, but have you ever wondered why didn't Jesus just come to them and reveal himself to the two disciples from the very beginning? Wouldn't that have convinced them much more easily and quickly? He did not do that. Instead of revealing himself at the beginning, in fact, it says in verse 16, their, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Why? Because he wanted them to wrestle until he exa did exactly what he knew that they needed. And it was then and only then, it says in verse 45, that's outside of what Kicker read a few moments ago, but it says there that he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He knew that the most powerful gift of His resurrection that He could give them, He knew that they desperately needed 
the Word of God. Through the years, I've counseled people who are in despair all the way along the spectrum on that Emmaus Road experience. But here is, here is what I have found that when I talk, and when I say counsel, I just simply mean to, to talk with them and to bring the Word of God to bear upon their situation. But when I've talked with people who are in deep, deep despair, one of the questions I always try to ask in some form is, would you tell me about your quiet time? Would you tell me about your regular intake of the Word of God? Would it surprise you? that in those cases, and I can say this safely, nine out of ten times, I really think I could say it safely, ten out of tens, but I'm leaving at least a little bit of wiggle room. That person will hang their head and they will say, you know, I, I, I quit having my quiet time quite a while back. There is no consistent intake of the Word of God. Years, years ago, I experienced my own burnout. And when I go back and look at that, that whole experience of, of, of descending into despondency and despair, I realized that I had stopped a consistent intake of the Word of God. And during that time, I ran from where Jesus had told me to go. Folks, what I'm saying, and this goes for, for pastors, for ministers, for staff members, this goes for all of you who are in Christ, never get too busy for regular intake of the Word of God. Set aside some time every day. So we come to the conclusion, the story of the gift of resurrection of Christ, at least in the lives of these two disciples, shows the importance of the Scriptures. The Word of God is authoritative. How are we to live today? The Word of God tells us. How is God's plan and purpose to be known to us today? The Word of God tells us. How will we know the will of God for our own lives? By the Word of God. And how can we correctly interpret everything that is going on around us right now in these days? Only through the Word of God, revealed and applied to us by His Holy Spirit. Now, here is something amazing. I, I, I think above everything else, I love this story because of this. We see an absolute miraculous turnaround in their attitudes. Look at the contrast between verse 17, the last part of that verse, and verses 32 and 33. They went from faces downcast, from looking sad to their hearts burning as they had opened, they had had the Scriptures opened to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. They were never again the same. Now, did they have problems after that? 
Absolutely, but they were never the same. If you'll look, there was an immediate response in verse 33. It says that they, and I'm going to, to interpret a little bit here, they got back on track doing what the Lord wanted them to do in the first place. Now, here is the question and the acid test for them. Listen, apply it to your own life. What had changed in terms of the facts of their circumstances? Absolutely nothing. So what had changed? What had changed was the filter or the lens through which they viewed their circumstances. And folks, I want this to be a resurrection encouragement to you today. You might not be able to change your circumstances. Indeed, do all you can to do so in a positive way, but for sure, let the risen Lord Jesus Christ take His Word, which reveals Him and His gospel, so that you will see your circumstances through the correct filter. The Word of God, interpreted by the living Lord through the Holy Spirit. Believer, I want to pray for you that if you have not been doing this, that you would begin to in, interpret life through the lens of resurrection. I, I want you to begin, if you haven't been, viewing your circumstances so that you see that the Lord Jesus is with you, step for step on your Emmaus road. I would love to see in your own experience the Lord Jesus open the Word and reveal Himself and His purpose for your life. If you're not a believer and you happen to be listening to this today, I'm going to pray for you as well that the Lord Jesus would direct you to His Word and then that He Himself would open His Word to you by the power of His Holy Spirit, that He would open your mind to understand the gospel promise that is told to us in verses 45 through 47, later on outside of the passage that Kicker read, that He would open your mind, that Christ the Messiah should suffer and die for our sins, that He would be raised on the third day, and that through repentance and faith you can know the forgiveness of your sins. What an incredible thing that would be for this Resurrection Sunday. Let me pray, and then we will conclude by singing a song together again, and then we will be dismissed from this service, at least, by the benediction. Father, I thank you that it is in the strong name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ that we gather today. Thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. Thank you for the reality that He was in the tomb for three days. Thank you for the truth that Jesus was raised on the third day bodily, that He walked with disciples through a, an incredibly depressing time, and that He still walks with us today. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon all of us as believers 
those incredible truths. I pray that if there is one listening who does not know the Lord Jesus savingly, that today would be the day of salvation, that that person would repent, turn away from sin, playing God and fighting God, would turn by faith to the finished work of Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross. I thank you for the time of worship that we have had today. And pray now that you would be with us as we go through this coming week. And I pray this in the magnificent name of our only Savior and resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen.